This episode of the OrthoBullas podcast will go over the topic of statistic definitions from the basic science section on orthobullets.com. This topic will cover the following statistical principles, measures of central tendency, sensitivity, specificity, false positive rate, false negative rate, positive predictive value, negative predictive value, likelihood ratio, incidence, prevalence, relative risk, odds ratio, number needed to treat, post-test odds of disease, power, effect size, variance, type 2 error, type 1 error, confidence interval, statistical inference, funnel plots, receiver operating characteristic or ROC curves, survivorship analysis, and minimal clinically important difference or MCID. We'll start with measure of central tendency and the three terms to know are mode, median, and mean. Mode is defined as the value that occurs most often and is used best for data which is allocated into distinct categories like nominal data. Median is defined as the value that occurs at the middle of all values of the variable, half or greater, half or less. And the median is not affected by extreme values and is good for all levels of measurement except nominal data. The median is especially good for skewed distributions. Mean is defined as the arithmetic average and is the most frequently used measure of central tendency. It uses all values of data and it is highly sensitive to extreme values, especially in skewed distributions. Moving on to sensitivity, sensitivity is defined as the probability that test results will be positive in patients with the disease. And the relevance of sensitivity tests are that they are useful for screening since highly sensitive tests are unlikely to miss a patient with a disease. The equation for calculating sensitivity is sensitivity equals A over A plus C, or sensitivity equals the true positives over the true positives plus the false negatives. So typically, to calculate sensitivity, you will plug values into a 2 by 2 table, with the first column being disease positive, and the second column being disease negative, and the first row being test positive, and the second row being test negative. So with that setup, the first row of the first column will be true positives. The first row of the second column will be false positives. The second row of the first column will be false negatives, and the second row of the second column will be true negatives. So let's do a quick example. A new test is developed to quickly diagnose HIV. There are 10 patients in the study group with the disease. Upon testing of all 10 patients, only six results return positive. What is the sensitivity of the new test? So in this example, we are told six results return positive of the 10 patients that have the disease. So these are the true positives. And that makes the four that didn't test positive out of the 10 that truly have the disease, these are false negatives. So to figure out the sensitivity of this test, we plug those values into our equation of sensitivity equals true positives over true positives plus false negatives, where the true positives is 6 and the false negatives is 4. So 6 over 6 plus 4, or 6 over 10, is 60% sensitivity. Moving on to specificity, specificity is defined as the probability a test result will be negative in patients without a disease. And the relevance of specificity tests are that they are useful for confirmation as they don't result in treatment of an unaffected individual. The equation for calculating specificity is specificity equals D over B plus D, or specificity equals the true negatives over the false positives plus the true negatives. 
Just to review, picture that 2 by 2 table again, with the first column being disease positive, and the second column being disease negative, and the first row being test positive, and the second row being test negative. So again, with that setup, the first row of the first column will be true positives. The first row of the second column will be false positives. The second row of the first column will be false negatives, and the second row of the second column will be true negatives. So with that, let's do an example of how to calculate specificity. So let's say in a population of 90 patients who are disease-free, a test incorrectly diagnoses 5 patients with the disease. What is the specificity of this test? So we are told 5 patients of the 90 disease-free patients are incorrectly diagnosed with the disease. So these are the false positives, meaning there are 85 true negatives. So to figure out the specificity of this test, we plug those values into our equation of specificity, which equals true negatives over false positives plus true negatives, where the true negatives, of course, is 85 in this example, and the false positives is 5 in this example. So 85 over 85 plus 5, or 85 over 90, equals a specificity of approximately 94.4%. Now let's move on to false positive rate, which is defined as patients without the disease who have a positive test result. And the equation for this false positive rate is false positives over false positive plus true negative. Again, false positive rate equals false positives over the false positives plus the true negatives. A false negative rate is defined as patients with the disease who have a negative test result. And the equation for this is false negative rate equals false negatives over the true positives plus the false negatives. Again, false negative rate equals false negatives over the true positives plus the false negatives. Moving on to positive predictive value, this is defined as the true positives divided by the sum of the positive results that is true positive and false positive. It is also defined as the probability that a patient with a positive test actually has the disease. And remember that the positive predictive value is dependent on the prevalence of the disease. The equation to calculate the positive predictive value is A over A plus B, or positive predictive value equals true positives over the true positives plus the false positives. So again, picture that 2 by 2 table again with the first column being disease positive and the second column being disease negative, and the first row being test positive and the second row being test negative. So remember with that setup, the first row of the first column will be true positives, the first row of the second column will be false positives, the second row of the first column will be false negatives, and the second row of the second column will be true negatives. Now let's do a quick example of calculating the positive predictive value. So you're evaluating a new serum diagnostic test for Lyme disease that claims sensitivity of 90% and a specificity of 95%. The prevalence of Lyme disease is known to be 10% in the late spring in the study of patients who present with fever, arthralgias, and rash. So with this information, we have to use sensitivity, specificity, and prevalence to calculate the quadrants of the 2 by 2 table to ultimately figure out the positive predictive value. So to figure out the specificity, which we know is 90%, the formula we're solving for is true positives over true positives plus false negatives equals 0.9 or 90%. And if the sum of the true positives and false negatives is 10, then know that the true positives equals 9. And if we know that the prevalence of the disease is 10%, which is defined as the total number of people in the sample with the disease divided by the total number of people in the sample, we already know that the total number of true positives plus false negatives is 10. 
So in order for us to get a prevalence of 10%, then the total number of people in the sample is 100. And so the number of people without the disease or false positives plus the true negatives is 90. So now using the formula for specificity, which is true negatives over false positives plus true negatives, and since we're given the specificity is 95%, we can solve for the value of the true negatives by multiplying 0.95 or 95% by 90, which is the sum of the false positives plus true negatives. And we get 85.5 for the value of the true negatives. Then since we know that the sum of the false positives plus the true negatives is 90, then solving for the false positives, we get a value of 4.5. So now that we have all the values of the quadrants, we can figure out the positive predictive value, which is again, true positives over the true positives plus the false positives, or nine over nine plus 4.5, or nine over 13.5, which equals a positive predictive value of roughly 67%. Now, if you're still with me, let's move on to negative predictive value, which is defined as the probability a patient with a negative test actually has no disease and this is also dependent on the prevalence of disease. The equation to calculate the negative predictive value is negative predictive value equals D over C plus D, or negative predictive value equals true negatives over the false negatives plus the true negatives. So now let's do a quick example of calculating the negative predictive value. So 200 patients are enrolled in a study to evaluate the accuracy of an ELISA-based test for the diagnosis of influenza. 100 patients were diagnosed by the gold standard method. 80 of the patients with influenza had a positive ELISA-based test, as did 5 of the patients without influenza. What is the negative predictive value of this test? So picture that 2 by 2 table again, and we can fill it in based on the information we are given. So as we're told, 80 of the patients with influenza had a positive ELISA-based test. And 5 represents the false positives, as we're told 5 of the patients without influenza test positive on the ELISA. We also know there's a total of 200 patients, so each column must add up to 100. Therefore, if there are 80 true positives, then there must be 20 false negatives. And if there are five false positives, there must be 95 true negatives if you're picturing the quadrants in our two by two table. So with those values filled in, we can figure out the negative predictive value, which again is true negatives over false negatives plus true negatives, or 95 over 20 plus 95, or 95 over 115, which equals roughly 83% as the negative predictive value. Now moving on to the likelihood ratio. This is defined as the likelihood that a given test result would be expected in a patient with the target disorder compared to the likelihood that that same result would be expected in a patient without the target disorder. So this can be further classified into a positive likelihood ratio or a negative likelihood ratio. A positive likelihood ratio describes how the likelihood of a disease is changed by a positive test result, and the equation for this is positive likelihood ratio equals sensitivity over 1 minus the specificity. A negative likelihood ratio describes how the likelihood of a disease is changed by a negative test result, and the equation for this is negative likelihood ratio equals 1 minus the sensitivity over the specificity. Next, let's talk about incidence, which is defined as the number of newly reported cases of a disease in a specific time period per unit measurement of the population, while the prevalence is defined as the total number of cases of a disease present in a location at any time point. Now, let's talk about relative risk. 
Relative risk is the risk of developing disease for people with known exposure compared to risk of developing disease without exposure. It is calculated by dividing the incidence of the study group by the incidence of the control group. Relative risk is typically obtained from cohort studies, and when the relative risk is greater than 1, the incidence of the outcome is greater in the exposed-slash-treated group. So if you picture that 2 by 2 table again, the first column is still disease present, and the second column is still disease absent, but now the first row is yes risk, and the second row is no risk. So the equation for incidence risk of yes equals A over A plus B. The equation for incidence risk of no equals C over C plus D, and the relative risk is A over A plus B divided by C over C plus D. So let's do an example. A study is performed concerning the relationship between blood transfusions and the risk of developing hepatitis C. A group of patients is studied for three years. So we're given a table that reads that there are 75 patients with hepatitis C that were transfused and 595 healthy patients that were transfused. In addition, 16 patients with hepatitis C were not transfused and 712 healthy patients were not transfused. So to figure out the disease incidence in transfused patients or the incidence of yes risk, this will be A over A plus B or 75 over 75 plus 595 which equals an incidence of yes risk of 0.112, which remember is the number of hepatitis C patients transfused divided by the total number of patients transfused that is both healthy and with hepatitis C. To figure out the disease incidence in patients not transfused or the incidence of no risk, this will be C over C plus D or 16 over 16 plus 712, which equals an incidence of no risk of 0.022 which remember is the number of hepatitis C patients that were not transfused divided by the total number of patients not transfused that is both healthy and with hepatitis C. Now the relative risk will be the incidence of yes risk divided by the incidence of no risk, which is 0.112 divided by 0.022 or a relative risk of 5.09. Now let's talk about odds ratios, which represents the odds that an outcome will occur given a particular exposure compared to the odds that the outcome will occur without the exposure. This is typically obtained from retrospective case control studies, and it can also be obtained from the output of logistic regression models. An odds ratio's approximate relative risk when the outcome is rare is usually defined as less than 10%. The equation to calculate an odds ratio is A times D divided by B times C which based on our 2 by 2 table is the first quadrant times the fourth quadrant divided by the second quadrant times the third quadrant. So let's do a quick example. A study is performed concerning the relationship between blood transfusions and the risk of developing hepatitis C. A group of patients is studied for three years. So given the same data that we had for our relative risk example, that is 75 patients with hepatitis C that were transfused and 595 healthy patients that were transfused, as well as 16 patients with hepatitis C that were not transfused and 712 healthy patients that were not transfused. So the odds ratio is calculated by multiplying 75 by 712, then dividing that by the product of 595 and 16, which gives you an odds ratio of 5.61. Moving on to number needed to treat, this is defined as the number of patients that must be treated in order to achieve one additional favorable outcome. The equation to calculate number needed to treat is 1 over the absolute risk reduction. Let's do a quick example to calculate this. 
so you learn the number needed to screen with fecal occult blood test is nearly 1,000 to prevent colon cancer. What is the absolute risk reduction associated with fecal occult blood tests? So the absolute risk reduction equals 1 over the number needed to treat, or 1 over 1,000, making the absolute risk reduction 0.1%. Moving on to the post-test odds of disease, this is defined as the pre-test probability times the likelihood ratio. And the likelihood ratio, remember, is sensitivity over 1 minus the specificity. The pretest odds equals the pretest probability over 1 minus the pretest probability. And the post-test probability equals the post-test odds over the post-test odds plus 1. Moving on to power, this is an estimate of the probability a study will be able to detect a true effect of the intervention. A power analysis to determine sample size should be performed prior to the initiation of the study. The equation to calculate power is 1 minus the probability of a type 2 or a beta error. An effect size is defined as magnitude of the difference in the means of the control and experimental groups in a study with respect to the pooled standard deviation. Variance is defined as an estimate of the variability of each individual data point from the mean. Type 2 error, or the beta error, is defined as a false negative difference that can occur by detecting no difference when there is a difference, or accepting a null hypothesis when it is false and should be rejected. Again, the equation to remember is power equals 1 minus the type 2 error. The clinical significance of a type 2 or beta error is in the context of a study that fails to find a difference, maybe because there actually is no difference or the study is not adequately powered. A type 1 error, otherwise known as an alpha error, is made when rejecting a null hypothesis, even though it is true. As far as the clinical significance, by definition, alpha error rate is set to 0.05, meaning there is a 1 out of 20 chance a type 1 error has occurred. A related principle is the Bonferroni correction, which is a post-hoc statistical correction made to p-values when several dependent or independent statistical tests are being performed simultaneously on a single dataset. A confidence interval is defined as the interval that will include a specific parameter of interest if the experiment is repeated. It is usually set at 95% by convention. When an unknown value is sought, the confidence interval gives the statistician a set of parameters within which the, quote, true value is located. The confidence interval is used to indicate the reliability of an estimate. Now let's move on to statistical inference, which is used to test specific hypotheses about associations or differences among groups of subjects slash sample data. Statistical inference can be classified into parametric inferential statistics and non-parametric inferential statistics. Parametric inferential statistics is used for continuous data that is normally distributed. Non-parametric inferential statistics is used for continuous data that is not normally distributed, i.e. skewed distributions. Non-parametric inferential statistics is also used for categorical data. As far as study types, when comparing two means, a student's t-test is used for parametric data, while a Mann-Whitney or Wilcoxon rank sum test is used for non-parametric data. The paired student's t-test is based upon a probability distribution used to test a hypothesis involving numerical data. This method is used to compare the difference between two observed means. When the observations are not normally distributed, the Wilcoxon rank sum test is more powerful than the t-test in detecting an actual difference between paired samples.
it is appropriate for small samples as well that are not normally distributed. When comparing proportions, a chi-squared test is used for two or more groups of categorical data. A Fisher exact test is used when sample sizes are small or the number of occurrences in a group is low. When considering which statistical test to use, the investigator must consider how many groups are being compared and if the data collected is numerical or categorical and parametric or non-parametric. When the study is comparing proportions of categorical data, the appropriate test will be either a chi-square test or a Fisher exact test. The Fisher exact test is preferred when there is less than five data points in any group being compared. When comparing three or more groups, an analysis of variance or an ANOVA is used for parametric data, while a Kruskal-Wallis test is used for non-parametric data. Moving on to funnel plots, these are defined as simple scatter plots of the intervention effect estimates from individual studies against some measure of each study's size or precision and is used to detect publication bias in meta-analyses. As far as the clinical significance of this, this method is based on the fact that larger studies have smaller variability, whereas small studies, which are more numerous, have larger variability. Thus, the plot of a sample of studies without publication bias will produce a symmetrical, inverted, funnel-shaped scatter, whereas a biased sample will result in a skewed plot. A receiver operating characteristic, or ROC curve, is defined as a graphical representation of the diagnostic ability of different tests. It's used to determine responsiveness. Variables include a false positive rate, which again is defined as 1 minus the specificity, and this is plotted on the x-axis. The true positive rate, or sensitivity, is plotted on the y-axis. As far as the interpretation, the area under the ROC curve, or the C statistic, is used to compare different tests. Higher C statistics means a better diagnostic ability of the test. An area under the ROC curve of 0.5 is considered a useless test. Moving on to survivorship analysis, this is often used to measure success of joint replacements, and it analyzes data from patients with different lengths of follow-up. For analysis, it is assumed that all patients had their operation simultaneously. The chance of an implant surviving for a particular length of time is calculated as the survival rate. The calculation method is either the life table or the product limit method. In the life table method, the annual success rate determined from the failure rate is cumulated to give a survival rate for each successive year, and this can change only once per year. The product limit method is the same as the life table method, but the survival rate is recalculated each time a failure occurs. Moving on to the minimal clinically important difference, or MCID, this is the difference in outcome measures that will have clinical relevance. This is difficult to study as well as measure, and very few outcome tools have established and universally accepted the MCID. However, MCID helps to reconcile the statistical significance and clinical relevance of study results that use outcome tools. That's all for this review about statistics definitions. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.